This episode brought to you by Noda, powered by M&T Bank. Noda is banking built for lawyers and provides smart, no-cost IOLTA account management. Visit trustnoda.com legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. This episode brought to you by Alert Communications. If any law firm is looking for call, intake, or retainer services available 24-7, 365, just call 866-827-5568. Welcome to the AVA Journal Legal Rebels podcast, where we talk to men and women who are remaking the legal profession, changing the way the law is practiced, and setting standards that will guide us into the future. Welcome. I'm your host, Lyle Moran. My guest today is Kevin Broyles. He is the co-founder of Fisher Broyles, a cloud-based law firm launched in 2002. The firm has grown substantially since then, as it now features hundreds of partners in more than 20 locations. We will discuss how Fisher Broyles has kept expanding during COVID-19 and whether Kevin thinks more firms will adopt the distributed firm model. Kevin, thanks for joining me. Thank you, Lyle. It's a pleasure to be with you. Kevin, could you start by sharing a little bit about your professional background prior to starting Fisher Broyles? Sure, happy to. I started out in Atlanta at a mid-sized law firm representing large corporate clients, uh, primarily as a litigator. I then got the technology bug at the end of the 90s and moved over to a large uh, AmLaw 200 firm and switched my focus to technology, which is where I met James Fisher. We joined the same firm about a week apart and Our timing was terrible because the technology bubble was just getting ready to burst. And that's what eventually led to the forming of Fisher Broyles. Great. Could you elaborate a little bit about what prompted you and James to come together and launch Fisher Broyles? Sure. In 2001, at the end of 2001, especially after 9-11 and into 2002, the free-flowing money that was going to technology startups dried up. And uh, we were looking for a way to survive. I sat down with one of our clients and discussed the situation. And he um, gave me the best idea of my life, said, why don't you start your own firm? Get rid of all of the overhead that's driving the the rates higher for lawyers and um, pass the cost savings on to clients. And James and I would get together periodically. We didn't have a lot to do in those days because all of our clients were going bankrupt or pulling back from spending on um, high legal fees. So we would just discuss these ideas and we talked to other lawyers and then we started talking to more clients and asking them what is it they wanted to see in a law firm and asking lawyers and ourselves really what we wanted to see in a law firm. And We felt like we had a clean slate, and that's what uh, prompted us to forge ahead and start our own law firm shaped in an image that was appealing to partners and to clients alike. Right. And so what would you say are the key ways in which Fisher Broyles differs from the typical law firm? Well, it, it starts with the autonomy that we provide to partners. We give them a say-so in their rates. We give them a say-so in where they work, how they work, uh, how they service their clients, uh, different rate structures. That's one of the key elements. The other is transparency. Uh, We thought the traditional law firms really did a poor job of keeping partners informed of their future, what they were being rewarded for, 
so we, we created within our model a transparent formula-based compensation model to start. And then we tried to uh, implement transparent, non-discretionary rules so that the partners would know where they stand. They would know exactly um, what they were getting for their contribution. And they felt like, you know, they had more of a say within their practice. Those things were very important to create an ecosystem in which the incentives are aligned, partner to partner and also partner to management, so that we have a lot happier partners who understand their future, have a bigger hand in their future, and we have a lot less conflict between partners and between partners and management. You mentioned uh, the compensation model. Could you just briefly describe how that is different than how a traditional firm would handle compensation? Sure. We wanted to, on a non-discretionary basis, reward partners for their contributions to the firm in silos. So one silo is generating clients. That's what we call a finder. Another silo is managing clients that you did not generate. That's what we call a minder. A third silo is uh, billing hours to clients you don't manage or generate. That's called a grinder. And then we wanted to also reward partners for helping to grow the firm with quality candidates. So we have recruiting credit we also give to our partners. All of those four silos are assigned a percentage within a formula. Currently, it's 80-20 percentage, which means 80% of all revenue that comes into the firm is distributed to the partners who are wearing one of those four hats that I just described. Okay, got it. Now, what type of technologies would you say have been keys to the firm's cloud-based operations through the years? Well, a lot of the technology is similar to what uh, Amlaw 200 firms use. They just don't utilize it in a cloud-based environment as well as we do. But I would say if I had to pick one, it was probably our compensation engine that is so important. Because as you can imagine, when you have those different hats and you have almost 300 partners as we do, you can have various uh, permutations of the formula that need to be applied for any given client payment. So it was very important for us to be able to obtain a software system that allowed us to implement our formula structure within that system. And because transparency is so important to us, it was, uh, it was key for our accounting system to allow our partners to log in and see when they have been paid, how that payment is allocated, accounts receivable. So we have a pretty robust financial uh, accounting system and billing system that is transparent in the way it allows partners to, on a real-time basis, see what they're going to get paid, what they're owed, and uh, what they have been paid. Right. Now, how would you say the firm was performing prior to COVID-19? Well, if you compared us to other AMLAW 200 firms, we had we been in the AMLAW 200 in 2018 and 19, we probably would have had annually the highest revenue growth of any of the firms. We were looking at around a 20% uh, revenue growth year over year, which had dropped slightly from the previous years of 2015, 16, and 17, where we were looking at 35 to 50%. And of course, that's hard to sustain, but uh, we were feeling pretty good about 20, 22% in 2019. And then, 
you know, given that performance, I mean, how important would you say the firm's use of technology has been in generating that those type of results? I think technology is important. I think what's more important is the actual model structure, which incentivizes the partners to share work and gives them the autonomy so that they have a greater hand in their own success. Uh, once you form that model, you obviously you have to have the technology to facilitate the performance of the partners because they're all distributed throughout the country and also in London. Some work in offices, some work in their homes, some work on client sites. So you need a robust piece of technology or a suite of technology products that allow a seamless practice of law within those confines. All right. We've been dealing now with COVID-19 for almost a year. How has your firm performed um, during this period? Uh, Remarkably well, although I I should probably not say remarkably. Um, I think we knew when the shutdowns occurred, we would not have the kinds of problems that other large multinational firms would face because we've been doing this for 18 years. So, We were very pleased with our performance in 2020. I think our revenue growth was somewhere above 16% over 2019. Um, Our our partner growth was even more uh, remarkable. I believe we added 50 partners in uh, 2020. So overall, we were very pleased considering um, what a bad bad year 2020 was. Um, It's hard for us to complain with the results we had. Yeah, on the revenue front, why do you think you were still able to perform well, even as, you know, the economic effects of COVID, um, you know, had a harsh impact in some parts of the industry? Uh, I think it's probably because of the deep relationship that we have with our clients. Uh, I believe a lot of our clients respect what we're doing, uh, not only because they're getting a great value for the service that's provided, but also because of the longstanding relationship they have with their, their attorneys. I think when, when clients view their, their attorney as a monolithic you know, building in a downtown location, as opposed to individual uh, persons, I think it's easier for them to justify stringing out the accounts receivable longer, the, their accounts payable longer. Whereas uh, our partners tend to have a closer relationship with the clients they serve. And they also have the autonomy, again, and the flexibility that they can implement payment plans with their clients to make sure that they eventually get paid. There's not as much of a impersonal, large corporate structure that's going to the client and beating them over the head to pay uh, primarily by someone who they've never even spoken to. And our model, because of the autonomy that we provide to the the partners and the responsibility, they are not only providing the legal services, they're discussing on a very personal basis the uh, financial obligations and how to help the clients through a difficult time like COVID-19. And you mentioned, too, the firm has been able to keep hiring at a steady clip during the pandemic. How have you been able to do that? Well, we have always been set up to be more flexible. Uh, our management style is more flexible. We have, uh, we have more um, management involvement and autonomy as a management group because we provide such clear rules for our partners in the areas of running the firm, we have more autonomy ourselves to do that. And we primarily are involved in growth of the firm, uh, making sure our partners are happy, but also selling the firm to other interested uh, candidates out there. 
So it, we knew going into COVID, because we had been through financial downturns before as a firm, that our model would be, appeal to a lot of partners at AmLaw 200 firms. So back in February, we were talking as a management team about our need to ramp up and be ready for being overwhelmed uh, with recruits beating down our door. Uh, and that's exactly what happened. I think because of the credibility that our model had within the COVID environment, it, it made it easier for us to attract candidates than ever before. Yeah. And do you think that's because these attorneys at big law firms, basically now they're working remotely and see, okay, you know what, this is something I could do on a full-time basis and be comfortable with? Absolutely. One story or anecdote will explain that. Uh, our corporate managing partner in New York had moved to upstate New York because of the pandemic, and his next door neighbor was a very, very successful uh, M&A attorney at one of the Amalaw 50 firms. And he would see him every now and then walking uh, down the road as they took their walks. And, and this gentleman expressed to him that he could now understand the model and how it could be so successful because he himself was forced to work remotely uh, for three to four months. So AmLaw partners all over America started to see that. And I believe their thought process was, I can do this. I can make more money doing this if I go to a cloud-based firm. And my firm is not particularly good at providing me with a platform for me to do this. I believe a lot of them just didn't want to go back to the office. They liked it so much with the freedom that they were okay with not having the bells and whistles that you get with a secretary outside your office or a mailroom down the hall. And that has led them to be much more open to our distributed model. Right. And so it sounds like, I guess, throughout this COVID period, you've been hearing from, you know, interested uh, partners in joining your firm. That's correct. And we've added, I believe, around 50 in 2020, and we're still going strong at the beginning of 2021. Right. Well, we will be back after a short break. As the largest legal-only call center in the U.S., Alert Communications helps law firms and legal marketing agencies with new client intake. Alert captures and responds to all leads 24-7, 365 as an extension of your firm in both English and Spanish. Alert uses proven intake methods, customizing responses as needed, which earns the trust of clients and improves client retention. To find out how Alert can help your law office, call 866-827-5568 or visit alertcommunications.com LTN. This episode is sponsored by Noda, powered by M&T Bank. You went to law school to be a lawyer, not an accountant. Take advantage of Noda, a no-cost, IOLTA management tool that helps solo and small law firms track client funds down to the penny. Enjoy peace of mind with one-click reconciliation, automated transaction alerts, and real-time bank data. Visit trustnoda.com legal to learn more. Terms and conditions may apply. Welcome back to my conversation with Kevin Broyles. Kevin, could you share about whether COVID-19 has led to changes in the way you handle the recruiting and hiring process? It has. We were very familiar with using video conferencing prior to COVID-19, but it has made it even more comfortable for us. The technology is much better than it was before as various companies have invested in making it easier it's just, it seems like it's more comfortable and candidates are more open to making decisions without meeting face-to-face. 
So I think I think this will continue to a degree. I actually look forward to sitting down with folks in the future as we recruit them. But uh, I think video conferencing and recruiting uh, is going to be around for quite some time. And as a cloud-based firm, you know, why did you previously feel like you had to go out and you know meet with potential new hires in person? You know, that's a great question. I think part of it is we just enjoyed seeing people in person. And we know that human beings need personal interaction. So we like to see someone face to face kind of as that that last hurdle to clear when you're thinking about bringing someone on as a partner. So I think that was part of it. What we've decided since then is we're almost self-selecting. in our model because we're so radical that when someone gets in front of us, they've gone through a process where they've considered this type of model and whether they can be successful in it. So I think the the chances of missing on someone in that circumstance are, are fairly low. Hmm. Now, given that you hire attorneys all over the country and now you know, in other countries as well. You know, how do you ensure the firm remains in compliance with the different employment laws and the like across jurisdictions? Well, the interesting thing about our firm is we're very much like a large Amlaw 200 firm in several respects. We simply have gotten rid of a lot of costly overhead and the inflexible way of doing business. But things that we are similar include, we have a general counsel, we have an assistant general counsel, we have employment counsel. So we are very careful to be operated like a best of breed, large multinational law firm should be operated. So we're not cutting corners on anything like that. Uh, We're always investigating new jurisdictions before we go in to make sure that we fully comply with the local laws and that it makes sense from a financial perspective for us to go in there. And in cities where you have multiple attorneys, does your firm have physical offices for them? We do. We use a variable office structure, which allows our partners to rent offices and conference rooms on an as-needed hourly basis. We have a worldwide contract with a provider of uh, variable office space. In addition to that, Going back to the autonomy point, we allow our partners to structure their practice as they see fit. So we have some partners who lease their own brick and mortar offices and house with other partners in certain cities because they believe that is uh, what their practice requires. All right. And, you know, moving forward, do you think it'll be perhaps less likely for attorneys to have fiscal offices given, you know, pretty much everyone has been remote these days? I think it'll be less likely, but I wouldn't say it would be materially less likely. And why is that? Well, lawyers in particular are risk averse. So when you take the universe of individuals and you then reduce that to attorneys, you get a more risk averse population. Within that, you have traditional law firms who've always done it a certain way, and they are structured such that they have so many stakeholders who are opposed to changing the traditional way that it's done, it is extremely difficult for a large law firm to change course and start working remotely. There are too many stakeholders who don't want it that way. It's almost like a fraternity where I've paid my dues, now I'm going to get to enjoy the fruits of paying those dues, and other people have to pay their dues 
and I'm not interested in changing the structure so that I'm the last person who had to pay my dues. I think that's what a lot of firms are seeing when you get a younger generation who are more interested in a remote type work environment. The older generation, many times who are running the firm or who have the uh, financial leverage within the firm are deeply opposed to changing the way it's always been done because they've been successful. And if you and if you see the headlines, the legal headlines lately, it seems like the MLaw 100 had a pretty darn good year in 2020 for the most part. So I don't find that they're going to want to change anything. If if they had found that 2020 meant they had lost revenue and they needed to rethink things, that might have led to some introspection. I don't think it will because they're already leaning toward not changing. 2020 was financially rewarding, so they're probably thinking, hey, I can't wait to get back to my Manhattan high rise. Well, you may um, reference the risk averse nature of lawyers to um, in answering this question as well, but I was hoping you could touch on why you think more firms haven't pursued the cloud-based firm model. Well, risk-averse certainly has something to do with that. I also think that it's very difficult within the structure uh, that underpins the traditional law firm model. It's hard enough to justify charging your clients three to $400 an hour for a first-year lawyer who has no idea what she's doing. It makes it even harder when you have to try to manage and train that lawyer remotely. In addition, it's hard to manage staff remotely. You have to have a particular type of employee who's able to work remotely and can be responsible and focused. That's another big benefit of our law firm. We've had 18 years to develop a support staff that thrives within a remote environment. So I think those structural challenges make it very difficult for a traditional law firm to move to a remote structure. And you mentioned, you know, training younger lawyers. If I understand correctly, your firm only hires partners. Is that right? That is correct. You have to have at least seven years experience to uh, join our firm, unless you're part of a, a practice group that comes in and says, hey, I've got this fourth year and I absolutely have to have them. But we would only add someone who has less than seven years experience if they're coming in as part of a team. Okay. Now, do you think COVID-19 will prompt more firms to finally pursue the um, cloud-based or distributed firm model? I don't think so. I think what uh, traditional law firms are really good at is pursuing window dressing. Uh, As James likes to call it, innovation at the edges. Uh, I read an article, I won't name the firm, but it was an AmLaw 200 firm uh, a few years ago, and it said that their their great innovation was that they were going to allow first, second, third years to work from home once or twice per week which is the absolute worst thing you could do because obviously those are not the the attorneys you want to be working remote. They're the ones that need the most supervision. So it almost seems like uh, traditional law firms are more interested in PR headlines than they are in actually innovating in ways that's going to structurally change their model. So I would be very surprised if you see a wide-scale adoption of remote work. I think you're going to see some who are on the very cutting edge of innovation to try it. I know I've, I've read of one or two that are, that are looking to do that with a portion of their, their workforce. I find it hard to believe that large traditional firms who are still making money the old way are going to be incentivized to make very many changes. Hmm. 
Now, you mentioned the AMLA 200. I read recently that your firm is poised to possibly move into that list based on your performance last year. And I'm wondering how that achievement would um, benefit your firm. Well, it's all about credibility, and it was when we started the firm. Uh, it's one reason why one of our requirements for partners is not just seven years, but it's AMLA 200 experience or large corporate in-house experience or large government experience, because we knew that we'd be fighting a, a credibility issue when we first started our firm. Becoming a member of the AMLA 200 is going to be probably the last credibility feather in our cap where we can now say, guy, we're just, we, we truly are just like any other MLaw 200 firm because we are an MLaw 200 firm. You can already look at our website and see the pedigree of our, our partners and how they stack up against any MLaw 200 firm. It's the kind of thing that makes traditional law firm partners take the next step if they were considering our firm as a legitimate alternative when they move. Um, there's a lot of things to like about our firm, not just the autonomy, the fact that you make a lot more money when you come work for us than you do at a traditional firm. But when we can take that final piece of the puzzle and plug it in that, hey, we're just another AMLAW 200 firm. Uh, you can come across the street and join us. And oh, by the way, you'll double how much you make or triple how much you make. I think that's going to be something that's very powerful. And we've already talked about as a management group being ready for that, gearing up. Uh, if that happens, it's going to be big news because we're going to be the first new law firm to break into the AMLAW 200. It's really remarkable. We've had a particular model that has been followed for around 110 years that was started by Paul Cravath. And every firm that has gotten into the AMLAW 200 has followed that same model. We're different. We're the, we're the we will be the first one to follow a very different model to be able to make it into that exclusive club. Great. And I, you know, speaking of growth and potential new growth, I noticed that um, you expanded internationally, I think just before COVID started by opening a London office. Are you planning further international expansion as well? We are, uh, as it makes sense for our clients and to supplement our existing offerings. Uh, we were we would probably be in Singapore if not for COVID. We were looking at moving in that direction. We've looked at uh, various other uh, countries. Germany is one in particular. We've looked at uh, Dubai. So we have a lot out there, and we're open to moving. But we don't. We're not just going to open an office just to to open it. You know, with one attorney. I know some some of our competitors do that. They like to add one attorney and whatever location they can find, and all of a sudden we have a you know an office in. Luxembourg. We're not going to do that. We want to be very strategic about uh, where we open international offices because we want them to be successful. We're, we're all about being a destination firm where partners join us and they'll never leave. Great. Well, Kevin, this has been um, very interesting. So thanks so much for joining me today. Thank you. It's my pleasure. I also wanted to thank our listeners for tuning in. Please be sure to rate and review the Legal Rebels podcast on your favorite podcast listening service. I'm your host, Lyle Moran, signing off. If you'd like more information about today's show, please visit LegalRebels.com, LegalTalkNetwork.com, subscribe via iTunes and RSS, find both the ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network on Twitter, Facebook, and LinkedIn, or download the free apps from ABA Journal and Legal Talk Network in Google Play and iTunes. 
The views expressed by the participants of this program are their own and do not represent the views of, nor are they endorsed by, Legal Talk Network, its officers, directors, employees, agents, representatives, shareholders, and subsidiaries. None of the content should be considered legal advice. As always, consult a lawyer.